This is the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. If you're suffering from analysis paralysis, can't work out who to believe, hate dealing with agents, sick of your parents telling you where you should buy, you think the market's leaving you behind, or you're just worried about making a huge mistake, then you're in the right place. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums, but it's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience to share with you. Together, we're going to make sure you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you need to get without missing a step. This is your first home buyer guide. If you'd like to know how we can help you buy your first home and avoid a whole heap of nasty pitfalls, head on over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au, and there you'll find free checklists to download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy tutorial for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Absolutely. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring stuff, the disclaimer. (laughs) Everything we talk about on the podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken into account your personal circumstances so it should never be considered to be personal advice we always recommend getting the advice of a professional in their field of expertise now this could be a buyer's agent a licensed financial advisor or a mortgage broker depending on your needs the content you're about to enjoy is correct at the time of recording but things are changing on a daily basis so check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information episode we're going to talk about free money <laughs> the type first home buyers get from governments deposit schemes stamp duty concessions cash incentives as well as discounts from developers all the things that are designed to help first home buyers get onto the property ladder now you know there's no such thing as free money don't you so what is the true cost of first home buyer incentives There's no free lunches, are there? There's always (laughs) something there. Now, the government has been very proactive in the first home buyer space. They have created some schemes that appear to have um, to provide financial benefits for you guys. So let's have a look at each one, the conditions and the benefits, plus the pros and cons. So first off, we've got the federal government's incentives. Um, And of course, the first homeowner grant has been around for some time. It's well established. It is actually a federal government incentive, but it is, um, I guess, put out there or or administered Administered. by the state governments. Uh, So the basics of it are that one person must be an Australian citizen or permanent resident. They can't have owned a home before, uh, therefore the first homeowner part, (laughs) and they have to live in the property for a continuous period uh, of 12 months. So in the first 12 months, uh, sorry, in Actually, most no. states, it's six months <laughs> within the first 12 months. And this is the thing, isn't it? Is one and of the here's the exception to the rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is one of the reasons we're doing this episode is because it's so complicated and you yep. get sort of the federals dictating one thing and then the states actually administer it differently. So in one version or another, they've got to live in it for a period of time. It could be 12, it could be six, but also in some states you could move in on the 364th day of the first year as long as you live in it for six months. Yeah. 
So the continuous period with most states is six months, but it has to be within the first 12 months that you move in. So that begs the question, Veronica, what if you buy a property, great property, you really like it, you can afford it, but it's got tenants in it? Yes. And so you, Megan, of course, you have a property management business. You know. I'll take that, that one then, shall I? <laughs> well, I was about to say, you can you can dovetail me. You definitely should take this. But it's interesting. I'm going to say that um, if a tenant's in a lease, then you've got no guarantees that you're going to be able to remove them from that property in order to Correct. get uh, to get access to move into the property, but there will be some agents that say, "Oh, don't worry, we can incentivize the tenants to move out," which could end up be you might end up spending your entire grant incentivizing those tenants, <laughs> to, move the tenants out. to get out. And <laughs> and look, that's exactly right. So um, the lease. The, the contractual obligations um, on the owner survives change of ownership. So if there's a lease in place, then the tenants has retains all of their rights under that lease until the end of their lease. Um, it, it is possible to incentivise a tenant to um, to move out earlier, but that's only by mutual agreement and the tenant can absolutely say no. Say no. So what happens with the first homeowner grant is if there is a lease in place, it is okay for that lease to run its course, but you cannot renew the lease. So that means you can't then turn it into an investment property. It has to be the first homeowner um, moving in in the pr principal place of residence as soon as the lease expires. So it is okay for there to be a tenant in place, but you cannot renew the lease. Which is sort of interesting because a lot of um, people, well, a lot of times and a property is being offered for sale with a tenant in place if it's a long lease it doesn't appeal to a lot of people because they want to move in forgetting whether they're trying to get a grant or not they actually want to move in mm. and often the rents you know they may not cover the mortgage as well they feel like they're paying out of their pocket it's waiting 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 to move into their home so um but that can actually mean sometimes you get a good deal yeah, yeah. Well, I think at the moment we're not seeing a lot of investors in the marketplace. We're seeing a lot of first home buyers, um, and, and and I'm talking about you know November, December to 2020. Uh, things could change very quickly in 2021. Um, but it is. It does depend. Uh, you know, certainly when we advise investors about selling their property, it is very better for it to be vacant because you have a greater pool of people who who might be able to access it. And of course, it's easier if someone wants to move in to have a vacant property. Absolutely. And also it's, you know, generally better presented. If it yes. doesn't have tenants. <laughs> Easier to get in for inspections. <laughs> so many pluses on that side. But anyway, Absolutely. that's a totally different topic. What else is the federal government throwing at first home buyers? Well, we've seen the build bonus grant come in um, during 2020. And this is a really interesting one. So this is, again, it's a federal grant and it is not just for first home buyers. It is available to all homeowners. So it's up to $20,000. The maximum renovation value can be up to $700,000. But the value of the house before the renovation starts has to be under $1.5 million. Now, probably most are going to fall into that price range. It can be any buyer, doesn't need to be new, which is a good thing for this grant. You know, you and I are, are big advocates for looking at established, not just new, particularly, um, you know, in some of those bigger complexes and, and bigger subdivisions. Uh, one of the conditions with this one is that the contract with the builder has to be signed by the 30th of December 2020 and work has to start within three months of that contract being signed. So, of Obviously course, we're getting close, <laughs> mm, getting close <laughs> to that date. So whether they extend that or not, who knows? Uh, we have no inside intel on that one. Um, but that is a good general one for people as long as you meet all the criteria around that. 
And that's the reason we're still mentioning it, even though we're recording this in December 2020. Mm. And by the time we go to air with this episode, it will be after December 2020. We know that. But there, you know, there's been murmurings that this might be extended. So let's uh, let's hold fire on that just in case you need to know yeah. about it. And there's another scheme from the government, which is actually a, an election promise back in, um, I think it was May, very close to the election, mm. which was in May nine, 2019 which is the Deposit Guarantee Scheme. It's not a bad one, this one, but yeah, you've got to be really, it. really careful about um, what type of property you choose and what that property might do from a from a growth or, or fall in value point of view. So let's talk through that one. Yeah, so basically, and there's only a limited number of spots uh, every year that it's offered and 10,000 spots uh, was what was first offered. So that... If you qualify, you actually get the government to guarantee your deposit, which means that you only need 5% in order to buy a property, which is pretty good because it means you don't have to pay lenders' mortgage insurance. That's the big thing, isn't it? You're Mm. you're potentially saving thousands in lenders' mortgage insurance if you use this scheme effectively. Now, the thing about there were various income caps in terms of your income um, and, you know, and all these things are subject to change. So we're sort of not going to labour what these caps are right at the minute. There's certain financial institutions that have been allocated a number of those 10,000 positions. So you have to be careful which bank you go with if this is a scheme that you're going to access. Mm. Uh, and you have to be very careful that you keep um, your equity position above 95%. So you, you don't want to be going into negative equity. No. And there's a thing. Here. This is a, I think this is a really good opportunity for somebody who's buying an established property mm. rather than, and there are limits in terms of the price limits as well. So there are dangers. We'll talk a little bit later about the issues with price caps and where that creates problems. Um, but certainly with this, if you're in an area where the, underneath that price cap are good quality properties then and, and established properties not brand new, then, you know, this, this could potentially be a really good opportunity for somebody who has got good earning potential but hasn't actually managed to save much and um but you know you've got to think okay what is your earning potential you know honestly in terms of being able to afford because you're borrowing 95 percent plus costs um mm. so you're still borrowing a lot of money and the big thing that that Mega was talking about was negative equity and so therefore you've got to be super careful and really we will discourage you from using this this with brand new property because the risks of losing money on brand new property are very high and very well documented. And so it's it's a very big chance that you might end up um, settling on a property that actually you owe the bank more than you own, as in it falls more than 5%, in which case you own what's called negative equity territory. Yeah, and banks don't like that. Banks, banks no. don't like you to have an asset that is worth less than you have borrowed from them. Uh, so, so that it, it, look very much so. It's a discussion to have with a financial planner and a mortgage broker who understands how the scheme works and the various financial institutions that have access to to the places. Um, it can be used really well if you are on an upward trajectory for income. This is a great discussion to have with a financial advisor around how you may actually be able to more quickly pay off the loan. So, start to bring that loan to value ratio down. Uh, if you're a great saver or you've got some really good discipline around that or you have some bonuses coming in um, it could be a really good tool but you wouldn't want to I certainly would be discouraging people from looking at this as a long-term 95% loan to value ratio and I'll just make minimum repayments and pay it down over 30 years probably not 
a really good way to look at the scheme as, as getting onto the ladder and then being able to do something else in the future. You, you really want to be paying that down a bit. Yeah, and obviously if you've got a really good broker, they'll be talking to you about borrowing strategy and offset accounts and all that sort of stuff and sort of really budgeting and, and all that very healthy financial fitness stuff. Sounds so boring, but oh, oh my God, good. it's I good. love financial fitness because I it's, love it it's the too. way that you can improve your position um, when you haven't got external control over your income. So financial fitness is, we're going to do a topic on that, it's Veronica. It's very important. We love it. We love it. But people, some people go, I'm budgeting. It's like dieting. I don't oh, it's know. not just I budgeting. Know it's, good it's not. It's more than that. Oh, <laughs> hey, we're total advocates for, you know, down the track it works. But anyway, we digress. Okay, we digress. So, as always. So, so talk let's talk about, about some of the state-based incentives. Veronica, what have we got there? Yeah, look, the biggest state-based incentives and, and territory, we state and territory here, uh, this is where the stamp duty concessions come into play. And so every state has different um, a different offering in this area. They have different thresholds in terms of the maximum prices, uh, the types of property, and typically, and also the, the minimum time that you have to live in the property uh, as a principal place of residence. So there are thresholds and, and uh, criteria that you need to meet. Now, we will have, we'll put together something in the website, we'll put a link in anyway, which would have a, a, a snapshot and summary of all these things. Because you can get in there and there's a whole bunch of resources. What we'll do, we'll have a cheat sheet there with all the resources and all the links for each of the states. So we won't give you, we won't tell you what it is. We'll just give you the right link so that you can go mm. directly to the State Office of Fair Trading um, uh so it's fair trading? I know. Uh, no, it's um, state revenue is state revenue. Uh, they administer stamp duty or transfer duty, um, but there's other sites as well. There's some really good government sites around the different incentives. Uh, so we'll put the links up for those. Yeah, so we'll give you a cheat sheet so that you can access all that stuff. And also this stuff does change all the time. If you think about yeah. through COVID, I mean, the thresholds have changed, the the amounts have changed, the, you know, types of property have changed, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a moving target, okay? So each state, though, has these, these offerings. Most of them, most of them skew very, very heavily towards brand new or off the plan, okay? Let's so talk about why. Because I think whilst we were going to talk about this later, I think it's really important to talk about it, why they're aimed at first or new, newly established or off-plan properties. Um, because. because it comes it comes to the heart <laughs> of what the intent of the of, of the schemes actually are, which is why we talk about you know pros and cons. Yeah, but, but who are they actually there to incentivise? And and it's actually it's a building boost. It's it's mm. um, these are incentives that are very um very clearly and and have been announced very clearly to help stimulate the construction industry so they whilst have. the flow-on effect is for first home buyers it's only if they buy a new property which you know we don't think is really always the right thing for people to do so i think that's you know we're banged on about this if this is the first time you've heard us talk about this then there's you know you'll find the more you listen to us we will keep harping on about this because it's very very important that first time buyers do understand that those incentives are there really not to help you get on the ladder but to help the economy keep ticking over and we all love a good economy but we just have to be very wary about our role in that it's the intent um, of them yeah yeah and can so, they benefit you yeah, and so if you are going to buy brand new, you have to learn things like 
scarcity and um, supply lines and demand. There's so much more you have to learn and there's also so many greater risks with, with brand new. Um, but in some states and territories, there are incentives that allow for buying established property as well. And so, like, for instance, though, it's heavily skewed. So in New South Wales currently, for instance, the threshold or the price threshold for a house is, oh, I've got a mental blank, I think it's 850000 uh, For stamp duty? Stamp duty. Uh, it just the, changed, did it just change recently? It just changed. It's $600,000, right? If it's established, and I think it's eight hundred fifty thousand dollars if it's brand new, or now, yeah, and it phases out up to a million. Was eight hundred? Yeah, oh, it discounts up to a million. Was you know, here we are, experts, yeah. and I'm meant to have all this stuff at the top of my head, and instead, I don't have the, the spreadsheet in front of me. I, I do. I'm That's making okay. this stuff on the fly. <laughs> so listen to me, and not me. You're right, uh, but I think there were changes recently. So spreadsheet, yeah. oh, no, you updated in December. There you go. So it is up to date. New home up to 800000 was previous 650000 There's no stamp duty on that. Discounts up to a $1 million. It was previously 800000 That's right. And there's also uh, discounts on land up to 400000 uh, sorry, no stamp duty up to $400,000 on land and discounts up to $500,000. Now, those temporary increases are between the 1st of August 2020 until the 31st of July 2021. So yeah. they are a temporary measure. So they were brought in because of COVID, obviously, and, and the government wanted to continue to stimulate the housing sector and the construction sector. Interestingly enough, the, the, uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence is that the builders are pretty busy and <laughs> because yeah. we haven't been going on yes. holidays and people have been renovating their houses. So there's, a, there's quite a lot of building activity going on. However, mm. this is what the design of this and the raising of the threshold was to actually encourage people into buying this new stock. So that could be a house and land package or it could be an apartment. And there's quite a lot of apartments that sort of got caught up in the sense that it takes a long time to build an apartment building, mm. you know, and the whole process from end to end can go for years where they've had to buy the site, then get the, you know, the plans approved and then get funding and then pre-sales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, you might buy today and you might settle up in two years. Some I've heard up to four and five years' time it takes to, mm. to buy these. But the government wants these sales time. to continue yeah. to go over so that the construction industry can continue to build. So, you know, and, and it's quite obvious, as I said, I'm not focusing on New South Wales here because the differential there was that they, they left the threshold for established pro established property at 600 and moved the threshold for new up to yep. 800. So, therefore, yep. you can see quite clearly the incentive is skewed to new. Yep. So, but in Queensland, it is uh, standard concessions are on any property. So, it doesn't have to be new. Uh, the, the maximum home value is uh, for for no stamp duty, not paying stamp duty is five hundred and fifty thousand, and you can save up to fifteen thousand nine hundred twenty-five by uh, not paying stamp duty. So having that full concession, um, there are some eligibility re requirements, uh, but essentially it's living, it's moving into the property and living there on a daily basis within a year of settlement, not selling the property within a year, uh, and uh, you can't you can't demolish the home. That's the other one. Yep. <laughs> So, just in case you're considering doing that. Fair enough, because you'd move in and then demolish it. Then what? <laughs> um, and ACT, you know, they they um, have been phasing out stamp duty anyway. So their, their model That's is... That's an interesting one to watch, isn't mm -hmm. it? How, how they're going to be changing that calculation and, and 
how it will be paid. You know, you've still got to pay. You've still got to pay tax well, somewhere, somewhere along the line. Um, property there is there needs to be a property on tax. It just needs to be the right one in the right place at the right time. And and at purchase is probably one that we don't believe is necessarily a good one for buyers. But at the moment, there's a good side of this. And all I can say is that a barrier to entry means that first home buyers at the moment, if they're given this sort of clear run with stamp duty concessions, that they are only really comp- competing with each other. Everybody else has to actually get the stamp duty and pay the mm. stamp duty. Mm. So I know a lot of first home buyers do say, oh, you know, I'm competing with investors. And it's true, investors might have access to more money, they can borrow more against their other properties, et cetera, et cetera. They still have to stump up the stamp duty at the moment. So it is it an does, advantage if you're you, under you, the threshold. Absolutely. But but you touched on, and I think we need to go into a little bit more here, we, you touched on limiting yourself to a specific budget just mm. to qualify for a grant or a concession. Now, what we see this creates is artificial price barriers. So yeah. if everybody's competing for a property, say in Queensland, up to $550,000 so that they can get a full concession on the stamp duty, then what some people are saying, well, well, if I pay 560000 I'm in stamp duty territory. So even though that property is only really worth, you know, on, on data analysis, it's only worth five thirty-five. I'm going to have to pay five fifty to get into that property because everyone else is competing with me for it. So I just I need to get something, and suddenly we have this swell of activity under certain price ranges to meet grant or concession rules. And there's often opportunities that are really good if you look just outside of those um, those price limits. This is. Yeah, and, and I've tracked it at various times over the years where you do, you sort of look up, up to, say, whatever the limit is, say it's 700000 and mm. then you look at seven hundred fifty. how much more you get for an extra 50000 yeah. <laughs> It's phenomenal at times. You know. Just for a little bit. Yeah, but you eat yeah. up that stamp duty concession in what you overpay because you're That's in it. an overpriced um, price range. Get less less house for your money. So if you can afford more, rather than limit yourself to stay under the threshold and, and get what you think is free money, you actually need to sort of pull yourself up like a helicopter and look and think, okay, what? how much more do I get if I spend a little bit more, if I can't afford it, that is, mm-hmm. because it could be an absolute false economy keeping under that threshold because you might outgrow that house really fast or that apartment and and then you outgrow it so fast you find yourself selling it and upgrading in a, in a set period of time anyway. The cost of doing that far outweigh the stamp duty you've just saved. Yeah, and you will pay stamp duty on the second one because you're uh, not a yeah. first home buyer anymore. And you'll pay it at a higher rate and yep. you have to pay selling costs and buying costs all over again and moving costs. So it it's does all about up. opening your eyes, isn't it? Not being not being blinkered by um, false price or false price ceilings um, that are created by somebody else. It's actually about looking to see if there are opportunities outside of where you're um, being herded towards like cattle in you know in a cattle grid and being crushed into <laughs> a certain certain type of property in a certain price range. It is. And the other thing about, you know, opening your eyes and looking around is is definitely in the new space because what often people will go and they'll look at it, you know, the showrooms and they'll go there and they'll yeah. look at all the different the different showrooms Shiny. and the kitchens and yep. the plans and I'll buy their land and I'll have that house there or put on that block of land. Thank you very much. And they haven't actually, because they're not actually looking at, at established because they know that they can't get as much money from the government for established. They don't even look and they have no idea whether they get better value and yeah. for an established property or not. 
first blinkers, isn't it? And we talk about this in the um, Where to Buy tutorial, which is um, one of the courses that we offer. And that is to really force yourself to, to look outside of the parameters that you've set for yourself, open your mind to things. You might end up back where you started, but it is about looking outside the price range, outside the property type, outside of the areas that you were initially considering to make sure that you've given yourself the best opportunity to buy the best property. Absolutely. All right, Megan, there's some other things that the government has uh, provided to assist first home buyers in the form of savings accelerators. Want to talk about those? Yeah, look, we, we haven't done a lot of work in this area, you and I, Veronica, and we and we are aware of a few people who have used this. Um, the, the first home super saver scheme, get your, wrap your lips around that I one. I know, they know how to name them in catchy <laughs> ways, don't they? <laughs> so this was one that was introduced by the federal government in the 2017-18 federal budget and the idea was to reduce pressure on um, housing affordability. So essentially what this, and I'm, I'm not across all of the details of this, but you can make voluntary concessional, that's before tax, um, and non-concessional, that's after-tax contributions into your super fund to save for your first home. Now, there are limits. I believe that you can have a maximum of 15000 of your voluntary, this is voluntary, not your statutory contributions. So voluntary contributions up to $15,000 um, in any financial year, up to a maximum of $30,000 contributions across all years. So that means in the first year, you might make $10,000 voluntary contribution, you might make 5000 the next year, up to a total of $30,000, and then you have access to that $30,000 when it's time to buy your home, and you can take that out of the superannuation fund. You cannot take your statutory superannuation out of the fund, only your voluntary contributions. There's a whole lot of criteria around this, including how quickly you have to purchase the property after you take the money out of the super fund. Um, it is a really, really complex area and should only ever be made under the guidance of someone who is an absolute expert in this scheme. Absolutely. And, you know, some of the things that pop into my mind are that, well, your super should be performing better than the interest you get in the bank. Mm. Um, and so I just think to myself, hmm, if I was a first-home buyer and I could save that amount of money, I'd be wanting to, to put the first slot as quickly as possible in there so that it earns more interest over time and mm. then the rest goes in the bank where you get 0.1% or something ridiculously low. Because you don't want to take risks with the money you're saving yeah. for a deposit. I guess the, the other thing is, depending on which marginal tax rate you're actually paying, the amounts that are, um, so voluntary concessional contributions, including salary sacrifices, are taxed at 15% in your fund. So if you're a higher income earner and your marginal tax rate is higher than 15%, then this may be a tax effective way to consider Absolutely. And and it comes down to though in the whole scheme of things, 30 grand is not a huge amount of money depending on where you are. And so <laughs> it, what what is interesting about the federal incentives and the state-based incentives and the way in which the rollout of the first home buyers um, the first home buyer grants 
it does take into account different property prices in different areas, but this is one that's sort of got one number for the whole country. So in a regional area, you might find, or Perth, say with the median price is something like $400,000 for a house versus Sydney where it's a million dollars for a house. Mm. You know, it, there's different places where you live where this is going to be more effective for you than others. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And again, it depends on your marginal tax rate. Yeah. Uh, so if there's no great incentive to doing this, then there are a lot of limit, a lot of limitations. Mm. And, and our fear, around this one so it's pros and cons of everything um so it can be tax effective if you do it right but the con is once you withdraw the money you actually have to purchase the property and i want to get this right so i'm just referring to the website so while megan um, looks up how long how long you've got the, the problem will be the closer you get to that deadline the more panicked you're going to be yes. and 12 months the, you've got 12 right. months to actually it should be enough time or construct a home. Yeah, but you think about, Veronica, mm. you think about where we are in the marketplace at the moment. There is so few property to choose, good quality property to choose from, and there are so many buyers that that, that fear of missing out, of missing out on where the market is at, is actually driving people to make um, quite poor decisions, decisions around mm. the assets. So if you then put another layer of pressure on top of people, which is a date that they have to actually buy, buy, mm. buy, buy, purchase buy, um, then then here you've got this you know enormous emotional pressure to do something that really you should not be doing under pressure. Well, that's another pro of the some of the grants in general because particularly say the five percent you know. Home loan deposit guarantee. Yeah, that well, one has a time frame around on that it. one too. Exactly right, and people freak out about that. And even your pre-approval, you know, there's there's a lot of people that freak out about the 90, 90 days, and that that creates FOMO and and those rush decisions at the mm -hmm. end of that period. They that is when you are at your most vulnerable. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So yeah, thinking about deadlines of any, you, you obviously you want to buy your home as quickly as possible, and obviously you're going to be you're going to be really worried if the prices are going up that you're going to be left behind. Yeah, but being left behind. And not buying a dud property is better than buying a dud property. Yeah, just to get into the market because yep. it could take you an awful long time to build any, build any kind of equity to move forward. Get out of it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about let's talk about cash or otherwise incentives. Yeah. So I heard a story the other day actually about a first home buyer who bought off the plan. Um, I think I might have mentioned it at this on a previous episode, and I think the price was 580000 and she said, oh, but I get a cash back. Um, oh, what is that? Uh, well, after I settle, I get $20,000 back. So you've got to buy it, sign a contract for $580,000. Um, developers giving you $20,000 back um, but only after settlement. And so what happens is that that means that they can still say that that property sold for $580,000 and it helps them continue to prop up the prices as they sell to other people. But in reality, you're buying it for five sixty. dollars so that's a cashback and it's a bit of a, you know, I think. Oh. Why would a developer, let's talk about this, why would a mm. developer encourage this kind of thing? Why why wouldn't it just be on contract as 560000 Because they want to sell to the next mug and tell the next mug that that person over there just paid five eighty. And they can and prove therefore, that you did. in a rising market, they should be paying five eighty five or five ninety mm. for the same thing. Puts pressure. Yeah. So what they're doing is creating a a flaw under their price, because that is the number that people will see if they look at sales data, mm. not the discounted number. Yep. One of the reasons that valuers don't look at the settlements of brand new property when they're doing their valuations, and it's one of the reasons why valuations can come in a lot lower. 
than the price you're paying as well. So it's um, it's a dangerous area. It's a bit it's a bit of marketing. It's a bit of spin. It's a bit of um, smoke and mirrors. It's um, it's unfortunately not illegal. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be able to do it. But you know, when, so when you're offered cashbacks, I guess what I would say is. Mm, warning, warning. Why do they need to give you a cashback to incentivize you to buy the property? Why do they need to and, lure and what you other cashbacks that? have they given to other contracts mm. that you're relying on when doing your, your price analysis? Yeah. What so, if someone else had been given thirty thousand or forty thousand dollar cashback? Are you then overpaying with your twenty thousand dollar cashback? Well, yeah, the person that paid five sixty. Right, so they show you. Look, we'll give you twenty grand back because this person paid five sixty. They might have got twenty grand back, so they actually only paid five forty. I mean, yeah. this is the problem. Is that it's it's absolutely not transparent. And no. and I think if you just take a moment, think, oh, this is not transparent. Then then that might give you pause, cause for pause. And I think that pause prob- is a good thing when it comes to absolutely property. Absolutely right. There is so much out there that is encouraging buyers to act quickly. You know and and creating FOMO, generating FOMO. Let me tell you, agents and salespeople are trained in creating FOMO and getting you feel like you're going to miss out. And one of the things in particular with new properties is we talk about scarcity and we talk about the the ongoing supply. How likely is it that other properties similar to this will be brought onto the market, you know, in the next year or two years and so on? And in some areas this goes on for a decade. You know, new buildings going up, new subdivisions and that's 10 years if you buy in early on that you might see no or negative growth in value. So the scarcity is a thing to focus on. And so the FOMO, you know, when people say, hurry, it's going to be sold out. It's like, hang on a minute, but there's 100 more over there's there. There's still 100, <laughs> acre, yeah, 100 acres to go in this subdivision down the track. We're advertising a new a new land release. You're telling me that join the waiting list. still to come. Yes. What do you mean and I'm going to miss out? Like, really? It's just pause for pause take a moment we had a student didn't we who was who was only focused on it was the brisbane suburb actually Mm. only focused on brand new and it almost blew his mind to consider that he could actually get something just as big but on a bigger block of land in a Mm. previous release or in a more established area and once he started that process of actually you know going through well if i did go with with something established but i can buy it at a better price um I actually, I'm actually saving myself more than the grants. Yeah. And that, and that was the eye-opener for him. Mind-blowing, mm. that one. Mind-blowing. Yep. So, the, the, you know, we've talked about some of the traps, okay? So it's, it's great to think the federal government's helping you and the state governments are helping you to buy a property and to get onto the ladder. And it feels like, isn't that nice and warm and fuzzy because they're helping us? The thing is, like Megan said earlier, you've got to think, what's the real incentive and if they're if the uh, grants are benefiting, or, yeah. If, if they're if they're designed to funnel you into buying brand new, or they're really heavily promoting you into brand new, then they're not really helping you. They're helping the industry. If they're for established property, that's great. So sort of, I would prioritise. We've got to be so discerning, though. You know, stick with those investment fundamentals. Be discerning about where, what, exactly. layouts, aspects. You know, which leads light. to the next thing which is limiting yourself to a specific budget just to qualify for the grant. That's usually where you can err and get right away from those investment fundamentals Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. run the risk of buying really a substandard property that may not serve you in the long run Mm -hmm. or may just be a bit of a dog. (laughs) 
had a client ring me today and say, Megan, we bought a real dog before we came across you as a buyer's agent. We bought them an investment property a couple of years ago. And I said, I didn't know about this property. And she said, no, because we were too embarrassed to tell you about it. But we've finally been able to sell it for, for <laughs> what we paid for it. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't laugh, should we? I mean, it, it's it's actually, it's it's so common though. And this is mm. the thing. And this is why one of the big reasons why we started your, you know, your first home buyer guide and home buyer academy is because we passionately don't want you to make the same mistake. Don't this, buy the dog. Don't buy the dog. But these these mistakes are made time and time mm. again. And and as you've often said, Megan, you never really know until you go to sell it. Yeah, Although it can I do be 10 years, five years, 10 years down the track before you understand the mistakes that you've oh, made. Oh, it's an albatross mm. around your neck. Mm. Yep. Uh, okay. The other thing is to understand the timeframes in your state, you know, when you need to move in, how long you have to live in it in order to qualify and don't miss out and don't get it wrong, like, you know, because then you don't want them coming back to uh, get you and get you to pay it back. Yes, and that's what you don't want to be doing if you spend your money and you don't have any extra cash sitting there and you have to repay a, a ground. That that could be a really tough situation to put yourself in. Um, and we also talked about you don't have to shy away from buying a property that has a tenant in it. You, you can deal with that and it, and it can be allowed under some of the grant rules. Uh, just be really careful about it and get some advice from an accountant as to what that means to your tax position mm. and also your future capital gains position when you go to sell the property. So very important to get some tax advice if you are buying a property with a tenant in it. Absolutely. And actually in the next episode, we are going to be talking all about the preparation phase of what we call our pay system. And we'll explain things in there. And that's a good good segue into it because that's one of the things that we'll talk about, you know, when you need to get advice from different people early on in your property journey. So yeah, and very early on, building that's a one support of them. team, Veronica. Mm. I love that part of the process. We won't go on too much about it now, but just join us next week and you'll hear all about that and who you need to have in the in the team and why you need them there. So Absolutely. I think we've covered off you know we've covered i think off. there's a lot there we're going to have some links uh that will take you directly to the source information so to the very go various government sites so we'll pop those in now in this episode we covered a really small part of our 10-step online course for first home buyers now if you'd like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake then head over to the website homebuyeracademy.com.au don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars. It will help others find us too. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who are in a similar boat to you. We'll be back next week, as we said, with some more priceless stuff. And you know you've got an inkling about what you've got coming your <laughs> way. <laughs> we'll see you then.